comes before the word therefore provides the basis, the foundation for what is about to be said. Whatever commands, whatever directives come after the therefore. So what comes before this therefore? Simply put, it's the full force of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, which Paul describes in chapters 1 through 3. So running through, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. He chose us before the foundation of the world. He is uniting all things to himself. We have been brought from death to life by his resurrection power. He has prepared for us in advance good works that we are to do. He brought us into his diverse family, made up of Jews and Gentiles, people from all nations. So it's in light of all that, Paul writes, Therefore, I urge you to walk in that word of the calling to which you've been called. He reminds us, he reminds men of all that is true of them in Christ in order to motivate them and empower them in how they should live. Or to put it another way, he urges them to be what they already are in Jesus. He's urging them to be what they already are in Jesus. That's the phrase he's walking around where they were called to which he's been called. Now this is a very important concept or principle that we find throughout the Bible. And it's often described using two words, the indicative and the imperative. Okay, so bringing you back to the grammar class, right? Indicative is a fact. It's a statement of fact. And imperative is a command. Okay, so how this works in the Bible is that the indicative, the fact, specifically, the fact that what God has said is true, what God has declared is true of you, the indicative, those facts always empower and enable the imperatives or commands that are given. Okay, so let me use it, let me illustrate this by using an example from my, one of my favorite movies, which I'm not ashamed to admit. One of my favorite movies is Disney's The Lion King. I saw it when it first came out in the theaters when I was in college. Okay? And so maybe that's why it's always stuck with me. But if you remember, and I'm going to spoil it for you, but again, I can not say it's even like 20 something years to watch it. So, Simba is the rightful heir to this throne. But his father, Bufatra, is killed by his jealous brother, Scar. And so after this event, Scar whispers into his ear, he tears off Simba, and Simba runs away, and continues to hang out in this random jungle place, passing his days, falling around the waterfalls, and eating grubs with his buddies, Simba and Timba. No. So Timba and Pumba, right, the warlock and weaver, and then Scar with a hand fighting until one day, he sees a vision of Scar and Mufasa. His father says to him, notice, Simba, you have forgotten who you are. And so you have forgotten me. And Nala, his eventual wife, as well as Rafiki, the wise monkey, they also affirm this vision. Simba, do you realize you're the 
to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. There's two images that are put forth here by Paul. First, what the boat tossed by the waves, a spiritually immature person is unsaved. They'll profess love for Jesus, passion for Him one moment, commitment to heaven. The next moment they're up, living for some other passion. Or they're always at the mercy of their circumstances. So when my circumstances are good, I'm good. But when my circumstances are not going well, I have no peace. I have no joy. That's not true. That's instability. The other image is that of a child. Right? Elsewhere in scripture, the child is set forth as a good example. Right? When Jesus says that he might these little children, meaning faith and trust. But here, the image of a child is that of immaturity. Why? Because children are easily deceived. They can be easily manipulated by someone who has evil intent. They're a little more gullible than adults. This is why we protect our children. Especially once we start getting all mine. Who are you talking to? Who are you chatting with? Because there's people out there with evil intent. So, spiritual immaturity is a lack of discernment. Of that wisdom. To be easily deceived or lack the ability to distinguish which truly good, which truly right. So again, the path to maturity in faith, maturity in Christ is directly correlated to our commitment to the church community. I'll say it like this. Shallow relationships with the church equal shallow faith. And our maturity in Christ is directly related to the health of that community, which each of us either contributes to or takes away from. Now, let's be honest. Commitments, commitment to relationships in the church is hard. For one, the pull of society more and more is towards relational isolation. Precisely because 
The church is not a museum displaying mature college ladies, but the church is a hospital for the sick. And that's a fact. And because of that truth, they're really drawn. They're broken people. All of us have areas of unhealthiness, and we do affect each other. And that's hard at times. We're like a group of porcupines who say, Ah, and then we go to raise each other, and then we go, Ah, we poke each other, we hurt each other. And so the temptation will be keep everyone at arm's length. But the clear teaching of this passage is that will lead you to be stuck as a spiritual leader. That will lead you to be stuck in maturity. We're not growing into the fullness of maturity. Because your maturity in Christ directly correlates to your commitment to the body of Christ. Listen, I'm sympathetic to whatever might be inhibiting. Some of you have experienced deep church hurt, so you're cautious, I get it. But I want to say clearly, there is no plan B. There is no other route to maturity. I'll just learn on my own and watch my own. It doesn't work like that. Christ matures us in the context of his body, the church. And Paul cites two ways specifically that that maturity happens. One is through the gifts that Christ has poured upon his church. That's verses 8 to 12. And as each member discovers their gifts and then uses their God-given gifts, we all but the second, which is really our focus today, is in verse 13. Paul writes, rather, what is he getting at? Rather than remaining spiritually immature until you left, he's getting at. He says, rather. Rather than being stuck in maturity, he says, speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way to him who is the head into Christ. And so let's unpack what that call means under our second heading, the call to find. And so again, in addition to using our gifts to serve one another, there is a mutual word ministry that's meant to happen amongst members of the church in order for us to grow in maturity. And that is, we are called to speak the truth and love to one another. The truth Paul is referring to here is the truth of the gospel and all the implications of the gospel and the application to the body gospel to our lives. The reason we need this is because as Paul emphasized using the image of the child and using the image of the world, you and I are always in danger of being drawn away from the truth of the gospel. We're always tempted to live according to some other truth claim which is actually no truth at all. And as a result, to live unstable, to live immature, we need others. We need fellow brothers and sisters in the body of Christ to remind us of truth, to help us see truth. We can't even see for ourselves because of our blindness. One of the neat things about traveling to other countries Encountering other cultures which I love is that when you encounter difference, when you encounter 
think that the level of functioning here, they actually have to teach you more about them, but they have to teach you more about yourself. Right? Our family, there's six of us, and I feel like everywhere we went, we were the last people there. Right? <laughs> In a restaurant, walking down the street, cafe, wherever we're just
but in such a way that we cannot really restrict. Gospel love is all about seeking the good of the other. That's love as the scripture goes on to. I think first John, this is love. Now that you are to the love of Jesus, of the sacrifice of the true flourishing of the other. Seeking the true flourishing of the other. But it takes courage, especially in our time and culture, to say something that might be offensive or cause awkwardness in your relationship or discomfort. Some of us really struggle with that fear. We rather peace fake. That's called peace fake. However, love is willing to risk offense in order to tell the truth. Because God's truth ultimately does lead to flourishing. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who's famous for honor unity, wrote this. Nothing can be more cruel than the leniency which abandons others to their sin. Nothing can be more cruel than that. Nothing can be more compassionate than the severe reprimand which calls another Christian in one's community back from the path of Something true, but at the wrong time. 
So it's not only important to know what to say, or even how to say it, or when to say it. Because ill-timed words can do more harm than good. Saying the right thing at the wrong time, when someone's not ready to hear it, can do more harm than good. And what I want to tell you is that I come in this kind of community where it is normative, it's, it's part of the culture to in love speak truth into each other's lives. Becoming that kind of culture requires not only getting the speaking part right, but what's the other side of the coin? In fact, the culture that's being built, speaking the truth and love, that means all of us have to also be as willing to listen. This is what James 1.18 describes. One sign of maturity is to be quick to listen. Slow to speak, slow to defend yourself, slow to make excuses. Just listen. So, where, think about this, where are you prone to being balanced? Are you prone to demonstrate love at the expense of truth, not charity? Fear of offense? Fear of awkwardness and discomfort? Or are others of us? Change yourself on the other side. Truth lies to love. And are you just as invested as a listener? Because some of us are probably going to say this, right? Pastor, I have to spend some time with you. Are you just as invested in listening well as you are in speaking? So let's close by looking at how we strike this balance and find the resources to walk in this way, the power of the call. First of all, the same spirit whom we are united to and who unites us is the same spirit who gives the gift to promote the growth of others, but it is the same spirit who will give you the wisdom to know how to speak the truth in love. Because as I just quickly started to describe, it takes a lot of wisdom to know how to do this well. And frankly, I can pretty much assure maybe 99% of us, this was not modeled for us. This was not modeled for us growing up. We didn't have any good models for this. So it takes a lot of wisdom to know how to do this. And the clear promise of Scripture, James chapter 1, 5, and the Baptist, ask, God, I need the wisdom to deal with how to use my words well to promote the growth of others. Second, in verse 2, Paul has three specific qualities that will help maintain the unity of the church. But these same three qualities will enable and empower us to grow to be this kind of community that feeds the truth and love. These are necessary ingredients for ever going to be this culture that knows how to speak the truth and love to each other. And I want to show us how the gospel empowers each of these. First, he mentions humility. The gospel tells us we are far more simple than we realize. Right? <laughs> We're all blind to the fullness of who we are. We all suffer 
from gladness to self, self-deception, the gospel tells us we're actually falling worse than we realize. But at the same time, in Christ, you are falling in love than you ever will be. So the gospel enables us to move towards people truly without any air of superiority, without any condescending attitude, because if, again, if you really believe the gospel, you understand I am what I am, truly by the grace of God. If I tell you more clearly in this area of my life, if I don't struggle in the same way I think do this, it is only because the grace of God, not because I'm better than you or more intelligent than you. God knows us. Notice how even Paul said, he doesn't say, that you might go into a journey, he says, we. That we might not be hostile, that we love that we need to grow into. And that gospel truth should humble us. Never be there with my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And furthermore, your standing in Jesus, because of Christ and His work, you have the Father's love and approval. In Him whose matters, if you think of the one who matters most in the universe, He loves you, He delights in you. And when you set your heart on that, what that does is it frees you from the fear of people. It fears, it frees you from fearing about the fear of losing people's approval. Oh, I have to back that when I lose that friendship. Mighty. But you speak the truth, genuine love. Knowing that I'm not ultimately living for me to prove. Acting for the word of God, I'm doing this genuinely. I'm serving this because it really is enough for me. Second, there's gentleness. Gentleness is closely related to humility, but the focus is mainly on someone who is stuck in sin, who is struggling in sin. Just as Paul writes in Galatians 6, my brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore them in spirit of gentleness. You're not there to keep or guilt on them. You're not there to take them while they're down, but with empathy, you come to them with gentleness and with empathy in your heart because again you realize I would have fallen into the same issue were not the grace of God. Patience and bearing with one another in love is the third. It's the same idea. Patience and bearing with one another in love. Again, because we're all still strugglers, we are like a bunch of porcupines. Trying to embrace each other. We're going to pull each other. We're going to hurt each other. Some porcupines keep poking you more than others. Over and over. And what's our human instinct? I'm done. Other ways. Our patience is required if our community is to mature. Walking in that patience is part of God's maturation process in your own life. Right, I'm sure you all heard the joke, right? The joke of that ridiculous player, Mark, in patience, right now! Right? How do you grow in patience? It's like we are put in situations where it's hard for you to be patient. That's how patience gets stretched. That's how patience, Christ-like patience, develops. But I want to close in this way by reminding you of the indicator. 
church has expressed the love where they fall and argue with teacher holders, which is ridiculous. In order to be this kind of culture and community, we all need to go to this. And let us look to the Christ who was placed first for us to empower us to grow in this way. So that as we grow in this way, in this willingness to speak truth and love to one another, indeed, we would all mature, grow in the knowledge and experience of Jesus, joy of Jesus, transforming power of Jesus. Not only for our own sin, but for the watchers of our eyes to see that beautiful unity in this diversity to the glory of Christ. Thank <laughs> you. 